Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, legendary actor Stellan Skarsgård on his role in June Part 2, as well as other career highlights like Chernobyl, Goodwill Hunting and Mamma Mia. Chris Rosser reviews Adam Sandler in Space and Brendan Gleeson in a Dublin pub. Plus the dynamic duo of Jenny Kelly and Mairead Ronan on their favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. I hope you're doing well. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed the Jared Harris interview last week. And some people pointed out that he was maybe a little prickly at times, particularly when I asked him about his dad not getting the reception I feel he deserves in Ireland. But you know what? And he was a lovely guy before and afterwards. But there's something nice about someone pausing when you ask them questions and really thinking about and sometimes disagreeing. You know, I can ask leading questions. And uh, so an awkward listen once or twice maybe in it, but, but a very good listening, apparently with the numbers of people who've listened to it. And on TikTok, they put up a video and over a quarter of a million people watched it. Whatever that means. Anyway, that was last week's show. Let's get to some more movies and TV this week. And I have to start the show with the sad passing of the great comedian Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis was a stand-up comedian who kind of came of age in the 80s, I suppose. And he was even in Men in Tights, Mel, Mel Brooks's. uh pastiche, let's call it, of Robin Hood. But for so many people, they think of him in Curb Your Enthusiasm, playing a fictionalised version of himself opposite Larry David. And it's just comedy gold. Much of what they did together as friends who are constantly at each other was improvised. And, you know, Larry David, who's a man I don't think prone to wayward emotion. You might have heard this earlier in the week, but he said this great thing this week. Richard and I were born three days apart in the same hospital. And for most of my life, he's been like a brother to me. He has the rare combination of being the funniest person and also the sweetest. But today he made me sob. And for that, I'll never forgive him. What a beautiful tribute from Larry David. And listen, Words are fine, but uh, here's the genius of them together. She cares about you. Oh, she cares about me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, listen, it's none of her business. She has bowel concern for you, and I do too. I don't need her bowel concern. How much I drink, drink a lot of drink? water, that's all. I drink a lot of water, big deal. A lot of water? You yeah, drink more than a porpoise? Yeah, usually water, uh, you know, usually have bottles of water. No, no table, one goes to the bathroom. No are. one pisses that often without huh? drinking, like, thousands of gallons okay, of water. Okay, all right. Let's stop talking about this. My bathroom habits are not your concern. Okay? All right, then I won't care about your health. Fine. You don't need to care about... I'm in very good health. You are? I got a beautiful colon. You want to take a picture of my colon? I have a VHS of mine. Fine, You could put my colon up next to your colon. We'll see who's got a cleaner, healthier colon. I'll have a colon colon. contest with you anytime. Anytime you want to have a colon contest, buddy. Yeah. What are you eating? A lot of grains and fruits and nuts? Where are you going? Wait. What? You're not going to the bathroom again, are you? No, I'm not going to the bathroom. You are going to the bathroom. No! I thought you were going to the bathroom. 
Larry David opposite the late great Richard Lewis there uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm and RIP Richard Lewis. Now we've a lot on the show this week and I have to get to June part two but before I do I want to quickly mention the new Virgin One show Faithless starring and co-written by Baz Ashmawi uh, I thought was very good. I say that surprisingly because I think it's fair to say maybe sometimes with Irish television comedy we watch from behind our fingers going is this going to be any good? This is very good so far. Two episodes of on Baz Ashmawi again plays I don't want to say a fictionalised version of himself because that wouldn't be the case but he plays an Irish Egyptian father whose wife dies in the first episode about three seconds after she tells him he's useless he now has to raise three daughters by himself he's he's Irish Egyptian and he's of a Muslim background and his brother returns who is hilarious in this and seems to be some kind of sex addict who cannot say no when the mood takes him and the mood takes him a lot he's attempting to now look after his three daughters who have varying degrees of contempt for him because he's been a bit of a waster in life is what we've learned uh, he hasn't paid bills. He's a comedy writer who doesn't seem to have worked in a long time. He didn't seem to have been that good a husband. But so far, this has been a nice comedy drama that I enjoyed. And there were some real laugh out moments in it, particularly at the wake for his deceased wife, a scene with red wine. I, I laughed out loud a good few times. So I say this a lot, but cautiously optimistic so far about Faithless on Virgin Media, on Monday nights, Virgin Media 1. Now... You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades. My family's been fighting them for centuries. They were massacred. Alongside my father. My father didn't believe in revenge. We believe in Fremen. Let me fight beside you. Show me who you are. Father was a weak man. Clip there from June Park. Two, the cinema event of the week, maybe the first part of the year, the the whole year. I'm not sure about that. Dune, or the Americans call it Dune. This famous Frank Herbert novel. David Lynch made a movie of it back in the '80s. wasn't very successful. People claimed it was unfilmable. Denis Villeneuve's Dune Part 1 was highly successful and also very good. I didn't give it a great review at the time. I think I was tired that night. I did watch it again and enjoyed it a lot more. Dune Part 2 is very good. I enjoyed it so far. It's kind of hard to get into the entire plot with you. Let's just say Timothy Chalamet is back as Paul Artrades. It kind of picks up where Dune Part 1 ended and you probably need to watch Dune Part 1 to get up into it. He's an aristocrat of sorts, Timothy Chalamet's character, Paul Altrady, whose family have been massacred by the evil Harkonians. Stellan Skarsgård is the Baron who's in charge of the Harkonians, and Dave Batista is his brutal enforcer. And Paul and his mother, Rebecca Ferguson, are now hiding out with the Freemen, who are this kind of native people on the planet Arcades. Forgive me if I'm losing you, but this is what it's all about. It's kind of, I don't want to say convoluted, but it has a rich narrative <laughs> to it. Javier Bardem is the leader of the aforementioned uh, Freeman group. He's really good in it as well. And he befriends 
the young warrior of the Freemans and Dea who's in it a lot as well and it begins a kind of desert battle fighting against the Harkonians there's a new character in it who's part of the Harkonians played by Austin Butler who's a real bad dude in this this has a huge cast Timothy Chalamet Zendaya Rebecca Ferguson Josh Brolin Austin Butler Florence Pugh and as I mentioned Stellan Skarsgård who plays the Baron the man in charge of the evil Harkonians and if you've seen the first one or you've seen clips he is made up to look like an almost overweight Marlon Brando with a huge body and a scowling face pretty convincing villain I have to say look it's hard to kind of get through everything that happens in even Dune Part 1 or Dune Part 2 but it is a very good sci-fi movie kind of shades of David Lean meets Star Wars I hope that's not doing it a disservice some of the scenes on the desert planet are brilliant and this I found it a really good sci-fi watch. Now, Stellan Skarsgård, as I say, stars as the Baron. He is a legendary actor who has been in movies from the early days with Lars von Trier, like Breaking the Waves. He's been a big, successful Hollywood actor in Thor Ragnarok. He was in Goodwill Hunting, Mamma Mia. He is the Swedish actor. You may also know him from Chernobyl. He has eight children. He's lived a fascinating life, a fascinating career. And I had a chat with him about June and a bit more besides. So Stellan, let me start with the boring but obvious question that everyone wants to know. How much of a nightmare was it to get made up for Baron every day? Well, it was pretty much of a nightmare. I mean, it, it, in the first film, when I, was, uh, when I was naked, it took eight hours sitting still, absolutely still. And then when um, in, the, uh, in the second film, I, I never was naked, so I just uh, had to do six hours, but it still was a nightmare. <laughs> I can imagine. And, you know, I, I've spoken to a couple of people on Game of Thrones and they all had this reaction of, you know, I don't do sci-fi, I don't do fantasy, I don't do dragon babies. And yet they read Game of Thrones and I thought, wow, this is like Samuel Beckett or something. And Dune, it strikes me, is similar to that. There are all sorts of things going on politically, environmentally, environmentally, all sorts of things. Is that kind of the attraction of something like this for you, just the meat that's contained in it? Yeah, well, of course, of course. I mean, there's, uh, it's, it's like uh, the, the setting never really makes a, uh, makes a film. What, 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 is, uh, what is important is, is the, the essence of the film. And, and the essence can be in, in the medieval times, it can be in the future, it can be whatever. Uh, it's, um, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not interested in sci-fi per se. Uh, it's not interesting to see the oh, the the gadgets they have in the future or something like that. It's it is a, always a human story, a human story that is uh, uh, at the core of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Denis Villeneuve. It, it seems to me that he's like a great football manager and that the players just want to seem to make him happy that seems to come up every every actor I hear talk about him it's almost like they want to do good by him because he's so respected yeah that, that's that's true he's he, but he's 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 lovely he's, he's on the the, the, the his set is uh, so quiet that nobody's shouting everybody knows what they're doing uh, there's no insecurity and and he's very humorous and very funny, and he also the actors feel that he sees them, mm. and that 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 is um, uh, important. I mean, I, it, it feels like I mean, it's, it's, it sounds weird, but it's uh, 
um, is as pleasant as, as the Lars von Trier sets. Yeah, and that, you know, some people are, are shocked by that because Lars von Trier has a, a reputation of being quite, let's say, cranky at times, unusual. But I've heard you say before, Lars von Trier sets are very pleasant places, despite what you might think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there's, there's no hierarchy and, and, the, and he's, he's got a great sense of humor and he's, he, he, everybody respects each other and insults each other frequently, you know. Excellent. Well, we're all about that here in Ireland, the, the pleasant yeah, insult, you know. Tell me this, you mentioned Lars von Trier. I spoke to Emily Watson last year and we were talking about God's creatures, but of course I brought up Breaking the Waves because I, I have vivid memories of seeing that as a teenager and being kind of shocked by it. When And it is a shocking movie, certainly at the time in terms of what happens to her. When you got that script, were you going in your head, wow, this is this is somewhere different. I'm not sure how this is going to land. Or did you just say yes straight away? I read the script and, and I closed it and I said, yes, finally a love story I can relate to. <laughs> because because it was about love. It wasn't about getting it late or getting it married or getting anything it, it was it was yeah that i could finally relate to um and uh and it it, it was it, it, it was about the very essence of love it, it, it wasn't about whether you you, you get left whether you get whether you get married or something like that yeah and tell me this you mentioned a love story that you can believe in and that brings me to Mamma Mia. Was that a life-changing moment for you, the success of that movie and indeed the sequel, that you suddenly, you know, became an ageing hunk, if I may be so bold? Did that change your life? No, it didn't. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was great fun and it, it, it was, uh, uh, with both, both those films, it, it, was, it was just a vacation yeah, uh, it, it, it was. It's most not not even a film. It's it's it's, it's, it's something else. Yeah, I am of a certain age. I'm 48, and I have a feeling men my age probably talk to you a lot about Goodwill Hunting. But what I wanted to know about that was your sense of your character in that, because he begins as somewhat of a villain, maybe in that he wants Matt Damon's character to basically help him with, you know quantum physics and maths and stuff like that and we get this moment where you apologise for not going to Robin Williams' dead wife's funeral because of a damn conference but then at the end you talk about watching Matt Damon blow it all away and the pain of having to watch all that what's your sense of that character is he, is he a good guy or a bad guy or somewhere in between somewhere in between he's, he's like a uh, what's he called what's he called the, 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 the character in uh in uh, the Mozart, uh, Mozart uh, opponent, uh, the, what's he called the, the villain there? Not the villain. Salieri. Salieri. Oh, yes, yeah, Salieri. Lucky someone's in like, the back to tell you. I have no one. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got, I've got two people here like to, to, to give me, prompt <laughs> me and make sure that I say the right thing. <laughs> Yeah. So he's like Salieri. Fair enough. I and I. This is not a tabloid show. It's a film show. But I was amazed this morning. People know you have some famous children, but you have eight children. I'm a dad of three, and I I bore people all the time talking about my small children. Do you have any parental advice having eight children? And you seem to have children who all still speak to you and are very fond of you. How the hell did you maintain such a successful career and raise eight children? 
Well, it wasn't that stressful, my career. I mean, I took it pretty easy. I worked uh, uh, since 1989. I worked about four uh, four months a year, which is easy, <laughs> and and uh, changed diapers eight months a year. So, 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 so it's, it's but it, it's it's just 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 uh, I, I don't interfere with them. I don't interfere in their lives. I don't interfere with with, with their decisions. Uh, I I I I give them a lot of love. That's all. Okay, well, that that sounds pretty good advice to me. And then finally, I read this funny but very cruel thing this morning that said, some reviewer once said about you, you had a constantly forgettable face. Now, if that was me, I'd be (laughs) calling up lawyers and suing people and stuff like that. But you seem to, if you pardon the pun, take it on the chin and almost embrace that. Yeah, that 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 was actually uh, it was Miller Foreman who said. Oh, that's why he cast me as as Goya, because nobody could recognize me as as me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he had he hadn't seen many of my films. But 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 it it, it was uh, it's 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 it's, a, it's a, actually a, it's not not an insult because I I try to be somebody else than me in every role I do, mm. and especially here in Dune. Yeah. Yeah, well, listen, you've been very successful at that, as I hope you continue to be in Dune Part 2 and all sorts of other things. You sound like a cool and a lovely man. It's been delightful to talk to you. Thank you, Stellan. Oh, thank you very much. And give my love to Ireland. I will, of course. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. The great Stellan Skarsgård there, talking to me about family life and acting, and of course, Dune Part 2, which is in cinemas from this very Friday, the 1st of March. Well worth a watch. Up next, Adam Sandler in space. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now we were talking about Dune before the break, but there are other new movie releases this week. One in particular, very intriguing on Netflix, Adam Sandler's latest Netflix movie, Spaceman. And also an equally intriguing movie called Brendan Gleeson's Farewell to Hughes's, which is all about Brendan Gleeson while saying farewell to a music venue and pub in Dublin. I'm delighted to be joined now by arts critic and film critic, Chris Wasser. Chris, hello. Hello, John. Delighted to be here. Good, good. So listen, Spaceman on Netflix from this Friday, the 1st of March. The leap year nearly had me, but it is the 1st of March. (laughs) Uh, Adam Sandler doing his latest Netflix movie. He's in a contract with them, as far as I know. And he's a lonely spaceman. That is essentially it in one. Uh, Spaceman. It's also such a, a simple but effective title, and and probably the, the the latest good Adam Sandler film. We've had a few of them. He does have this lucrative um, contract with Netflix at the minute, which I believe he he extended. I think it was supposed to be four pictures, but now it's going to be eight or twelve. And I think he's on he's on a good run. If you disregard murder mystery, we'll just forget that that even exists. Murder mystery. I'm sorry. Too. I have to interject there because I can, I loved Uncut Gems. I thought Hustle was great, but Howie Halloween, and I don't say this stuff lightly, was disgustingly bad. It was atrocious. It wasn't and, a film and it was offensive. <laughs> sorry, I just, I was like, what? Because I like Adam Sandler, but I thought that was terrible. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it, it comes with a disclaimer, my approval of Adam Sandler. It's like <laughs> you can put murder mystery in the bin, Holly Halloween, let's just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, but there have been a few lately over the past 12 months. Uh, Leo, where he played a, a sort of a yeah. therapist lizard, the animation, that was quite sweet. Um, uh, he had um, 
the bar mitzvah film that he made with his teenage daughters. I thought that you were so not invited to my bar mitzvah. He seems to be mm. looking out, and, and he's involved in the production of, this, of, the, of these films. That's why I say that he's doing this. He's looking yeah. at these almost obscure, maybe underappreciated novels to bring to the screen. And, and in keeping in line with that, we have Spaceman, which is uh, an adaptation of a novel by Yaroslav Kalfer, a Czech novelist, whose uh, 2017 uh, sci-fi absurdist novel Spaceman of Bohemia went for, down very well with critics. So in this uh, film, he takes uh, center stage and he is playing this Czech uh, astronaut named Jakub Prochaska. And what's happening is that these mysterious purple dust clouds have formed near Jupiter. And, you know, all of the Earth's nations are like, what, what is this? What, what, what are they? But they won't send anyone on a mission because it's too dangerous. So the Czech Republic thinks, well, we can get ahead here. And they send one of their brightest minds, that's Samuel Jakub, to investigate. There are a few problems. It's a year-long mission, and uh, you know they're trying to keep costs down so only one person can go. John, that's an awful long time to be by yourself in space. And so when we check in at, with Jakob at the beginning, and when Mission Control, led by Isabella, uh, Isabella Rossellini, when they check in, they discover that Jakob, he's not in the best state. You know, his body is beginning to kind of, you know, the isolation has taken a toll on his mind on his body he started to worry that his wife back on earth played by carrie mulligan she's no longer answering his calls and if that wasn't bad enough he started to hallucinate well he thinks at first that they might be hallucinations and so do we but it might be more he started to see this enormous extraterrestrial spider uh in the spaceship with him and not just that it's not just an enormous spider it's an enormous talking spider and he says that he's from the beginning of time um he's from uh you know a distant planet and he's come to check in on this skinny human and he wants to make friends with him yeah now i've seen this as well and paul dano voices the aforementioned spider yes paul dano uh, and and straight away that's i mean if you, if you tell me before I've seen this thing, Paul Dano was voicing a spider. I'm in. <laughs> you know that's 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 it's going to it's going to look interesting. It's going to sound interesting. And the two of them they make a connection. I mean, at first, uh, Jacob, he is he he responds to this situation the, the the way that anyone would. He he locks himself in a different chamber in the spaceship, panics. You know, he he thinks that he's beginning to lose his mind, and he thinks that the spider might be a threat. He tries to fumigate the place, but he hmm. realizes that this spider is just there to to make a connection, and that's exactly what he requires. So it, it's almost like um. It's a, this, this sort of uh, therapy uh, client kind of relationship forms between them where the spider just keeps him company. He kind of, uh, he has this ability, this weird te- telepathic ability to to kind of uh, conjure up thoughts in Jacob's mind. And he helps him sort of deal with problems in the past because Jacob is not having a good time with his wife back on earth. And he actually doesn't know that she's left him. And Isabella, Ros- Isabella Rosalini back at Mission Control, she doesn't want Jacob to know that because she thinks he might be in spiral. So basically, this talking spider, John, has come, across, has come along at a very important time. Indeed he has, Jed, just when you needed a talking spider. There's Paul Dano in the outer shell of your spaceship. So look, you have to applaud, as you're saying, Adam Sandler, for taking this, you know... I don't think it's terribly well-known novel, or certainly I'd never, no. I'd never heard about it. An absurdist novel set in space, and what I think you have to applaud about this, and I want to know what you take on this: is Adam Sandler is very good in this. He's kind of nearly in tears the whole way through, or has a tear in his eye. Like he does the melancholy spaceman very well. I felt. I think so. He is a fine dramatic actor when he wants to be, uh, and that's the important thing. That I think I've said it on this show before probably when reviewing a bad Adam Sandler film, that it's such a shame mm-hmm. that he, you know, he's often known for 
for these broad and body comedies in which, you know, he's not terrible in them. It's just, you can always tell you're punching below your weight here and, and yeah. you're making films for a certain audience because, you know, these things have brought you your fortune and you know, they're reliable and they're quick to make and you can just knock one out after the other. But when he puts the effort in, it's just brilliant to watch him. Um, yeah. because in this, it's, it's quite an understated performance. Uh, you know, he barely cracks a smile at all. He's just, he's keeping a straight face. I mean, there are comedic elements to this. You know, we're talking about Paul, again, Paul Dano voicing, you know, an extraterrestrial spider that is inherently funny. Um, so, and the longer we, 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 we get to see this spider is it's, it's a weird creation. You know, he's quite, he's almost the size of Adam Sandler. Um, and it's a spider. So, you know, inherently creepy, but there's something very cuddly about him too. And especially when he starts discovering some of the food on board, he's particularly uh, keen on, on a sort of hazelnut chocolate spread that he carries around the spaceship. And all of this yeah. sounds quite goofy, but I think it was actually done with this delicacy and charm and sweetness, um, that we're basically just watching, you know, it's like, um, it's it's almost like a ET for this lonely uh uh frazzled space explorer. Um yeah, it's sort of a grown up ET vibe. Yeah, now you see we may be departing roads here because okay. I mentioned Adam Sandler's great performance and he's very good in it as well. But I found the spider thing more goofy than charming, I have to say. I know what they were going for, but I at times I couldn't figure out if it was meant to be humorous or not. Now, I know the stuff with the chocolate spread he's eating is is humorous, but the actual characterization of him, I wasn't sure if it was goofy or sincere or a mix of both, but it didn't quite flow with that. Plus, and I don't know how you feel about this, I'm sensing you didn't, but I actually found the first part of the movie just a bit too slow. There was too much of him in space talking to this spider. So mm. I'm not sure that worked for me, but I'm sensing it did for you. Oh, it did. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was on board with the, with the pace and with the temperature of this film because it, it, it does move quite slow and it kind of, you know, it maybe does require a lot of patience at times. Um, but I, I thought, I thought it paid off in the end. There's lovely, I mean, they're, 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 it's it's kind of a shame that we don't get to see more of Carrie Mulligan and Adam Sandler together, just in these not so much flashbacks, but um, uh, Hanush, which is the name that that, that Adam Sandler's uh, character gives to the spider. He's sort of uh, forcing Jakob to look back, you know, to examine his memories and to kind of you know see where he might have gone wrong in his past relationships. And we do see you know snippets of Sandler and, and Carrie Mulligan together, and we see that Carrie Mulligan is just brilliant. It doesn't, however small, however big or small the role. Mulligan's always the best thing and whatever she's in. So it's probably a shame that we don't get to see more of her. So I had a few problems with that. There are some things towards the end of the film, which are a little bit wobbly in terms of, you know, what exactly the purple space dust is and what happens yeah. when they get close to it. Um, but I thought there's for, for the ideas that it has there and, and the fact that it was taking risks with them, I, I, I quite liked it. And for me, it paid off. I thought it was quite tender, thoughtful. It did make me laugh. It did actually bring a tear to my eye. Uh, that always gets an extra star, uh, John. And I thought, <laughs> um, and I thought Max Richter's score was terrific. Uh, we're talking Max Richter in, in leftovers territory here. And uh, mm. that, that, that haunting hypnotic space score went very well with sort of low key, you know, rusty vision. I quite like the fact that the spaceship, it's almost like, um, it reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, it's a very different film from the original Alien. But you remember the spaceship in Alien, it was rusty and beat yeah. up and it looked lived in. That's kind of what Sandler's character has has in this thing. You know, it's not it's not the, the most reliable looking uh, object. And you remember that he's on the, he's at the very edge of the galaxy. It, it just looks completely beat up, but I like that. It had a lived in quality to it. So mm. I got on very well with this. 
Yeah. The other thing that I didn't quite hang together, now maybe I just didn't understand it, but this is from a, a Czech writer. But they, I was unclear when it was meant to be set because they were referring to Czechoslovakia. That's who he's on a mission for, which would put it somewhere in the late 80s. But I didn't think that made a huge amount of sense. And they're supposedly in a space race with South Korea to get to the purple dust. And there are intimations of his father having a past and the Czech revolution and stuff. But I just, it didn't hang together for me that aspect of the story yeah it sounds like i had to brush aside an awful lot of uh content here <laughs> to enjoy this um yeah i'm a little bit unsure about the setting uh i was a little bit unsure about um the the accent that adam sandler gives in this film it's quite you know every now and then it sounds as if he's trying to do a czech accent and then it comes out in an american mm. and i suppose i was excusing it because i was reading a little bit about um about the author of the novel uh yaroslav kalfer and how he had actually moved to america in his early teens and i don't know whether they were corresponding with the author sandler and the production team and they thought whatever whatever this guy sounds like now that's what i'll aim for uh, right. but it is a little bit confusing about which time it's set in but I, I i quite liked that it's like it's like it's not restricting itself to any sort of mm. uh any sort of time you know it doesn't have to kind of um have a reference to whatever real life space adventures it's just it kind of exists in its own world i will say though um the the book does or the, the film differentiates from from the novel wildly towards the end and i think the the i i haven't actually read the novel but i was reading about the the, the third or the, the 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 finale basically and it does take an awful lot more risks in the book and i thought mm, okay the ending is maybe a bit safe compared to the book but sure look we'll let that go i actually liked the ending the last lines of dialogue i thought were were very good, well-rendered, let's say. Okay, so slightly differing takes on Spaceman, but what would you say stars-wise? I think uh, Sandler's in terrific form. Uh, loved, you know, him hanging out with a, sp a spider on the, on the other side of the galaxy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with four for this. And, and wow. more... More serious fare, Adam Sandler, please. Mm, okay, well, I'm going to give it three, but uh, we won't, can't agree on everything. But uh, it's certainly worth the watch. I don't think I'm, I'm arguing at uh, that point. So let's take a quick clip of Spaceman. I don't understand. Why commit to a promise if it can readily be broken? What purpose does such a commitment serve? Are you creating these thoughts? No. These are your thoughts. I am simply finding them with you. No, no. I'm not allowing that. Stop what you're doing. Why do you resist this exploration? Let me help you. You long for your mate only once she leaves. See yourself. Why? Where was this yearning when you were together? That's a clip of Spaceman, which is now on Netflix since March the 1st. Now, just time, Chris, for you to quickly tell me about Brendan Gleeson's, I was going to say his latest documentary, I don't think he's done that many, <laughs> but it's Brendan Gleeson's Farewell to Hughes is all about a pub that was a great place for a music session. That's it, yeah. Um, so some listeners might be familiar with the pub uses uh, uh, on the corner of Chancery Street, uh, just behind uh, Dublin's forecourts. But in 2021, it closed its doors quietly. And you had Martin Hughes, son of uh, Michael Hughes, who was the beloved uh, uh, landlord of this pub uh, for close to 50 years. 
he closed the doors quietly on this place that wasn't just a renowned early house for you know solicitors and journalists and local market traders, but it was a mecca of traditional music in the area and in Dublin. And kind of people came from all over the country to to, to play in here for over thirty five years. And one of the people who came to you know participate in these legendary weekend sessions was Brendan Hughes or was Brendan Gleeson. Sorry, um, you know whenever he'd finish a film and if he was back in the country, he'd go straight to Hughes's. Um, so he was quite you know upset that you know they didn't have this big they couldn't have this big farewell night because it was actually closed during covid uh the decision to make to actually close the pub for for good wasn't because of covid but it would just happen to be closed at that time um so the irish traditional music archive at one stage came to brendan gleason about working on a project they wanted him to make a documentary about traditional irish music and he decided this is what i want the documentary to be about. So they approached Martin Hughes. He, they approached the, the, this uh, music uh, documentary maker, Kieran Amwainik, who works on TG4, great filmmaker. Um, and they agreed to basically go into the place, gather up as many of the musicians and the, and the players and the, and the, and the pub clients, John, uh, who frequented there over the years to basically participate in this five day long, you know, on and off session that was filmed around, uh, the end of March 2022. And that's what we're getting here. So it's a, it's an unusual film that's coming from a very good place. It aims to kind of give this, you know, legendary Irish uh, uh, pub and, you know, as I said, you know, this bastion of traditional Irish music, a proper send off. Right. Okay. And does it do it successfully? I think so, yeah. I think these things are very difficult to probably, uh, and Brendan Gleeson and, and, and Kieran O'Moynick have been talking about this. They are quite difficult to capture um, on tape, but there's a lovely yeah. combination of, you know, uh, new recordings. Uh, you've got Sean McGinley in there talking about what the place meant to him. You've got Barry Gleeson, Brendan's uh, brother, uh, performing with them because Brendan Gleeson, of course, is a, is a is a great fiddle player. We saw yeah. him play in the Banshees of the Sharon. Uh, you've got grainy archive footage to fill in the blanks and tell us about the user's family. And somehow they managed to do it all in 60 minutes it's a short yeah, I was going a, yeah. to say 60 yeah. minutes yeah it sounds like a, 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 a you know you, you think of that length and you think well this is probably made for television and, and you know Brendan Gleeson has been saying that when they were making it they didn't really know what shape it was going to take it it started mm-hmm. off as a project for uh, the Irish Traditional Music Archive and then it got accepted by Dublin International Film Festival from from one sold out event the Lighthouse and Palace Cinema got on board um, so there's an audience uh, for this I think that actually goes past uh, the user's clientele uh, but just to remove all of that it's a lovely piece it does what it's supposed to uh, Brendan Gleeson is very good at you know it's his name above the door and it's his name that will get people in to see this film yeah. um, but it's not the Brendan Gleeson show um, although I will say if somebody wanted to uh, you know throw money at Brendan Gleeson to make a documentary about you know other kind of beloved Dublin institutions <laughs> I would happily watch it he's very good here yeah yeah, and he is a real enthusiast for music and our shared history you know I'm a child of Dublin we used to park in the Smithfield markets when we go into town on a Saturday I passed that pub for years and yeah. I was never in it once it really is a tragedy uh, for me for no one else that I never went into it but it's great that there's a movie like this so it, it seems almost you know trivial to ask for a star rating for this but I'm honour bound to what are you going to say for Brendan Gleeson's farewell to Hughes's yeah look it's a, it is it's a nice piece and as I said it does what it's supposed to do and that it gives uh, you as a proper uh, farewell so uh, yeah four stars 
four stars lovely and that's getting a limited release I know it's in the Palais I also know it's in the Lighthouse hopefully it might make it to a few more places and indeed if you'd like to hear the great man himself that's Brendan Gleeson as opposed to Chris Wasser who's also great let's not forget <laughs> that but he was talking to Pat Kenny earlier in the week and you can hear that back on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app where indeed you can hear this show and on this show you will be hearing more from Chris Wasser in the coming weeks and months all going to plan Chris thanks a million thanks a million John Chris Wasser there reviewing Spaceman on Netflix and Brendan Gleeson's Farewell to Hughes both on well one on Netflix and one in select cinemas from this Friday the 1st of March up next Mairead Ronan and Jenny Kelly on their favourite movie Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. We're getting two for the price of one this week. I'm delighted to be joined by, I was going to call them titans of Irish broadcasting, but that might be, you know, a bit much. But let's find out. I'm joined now by Mairead Ronan and Jenny Kelly, well-known people of Irish life and now co-hosts of the Jenny and Mairead Now podcast. Guys, hello. John, how are you? All good here. John? Good, good, good. So listen, who wants to go first? Oh, Mairead is dying to go first. She just looked at me and went, me, 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 me John. Because her name is first in the podcast, so everything else I get to go first. Yeah. Well, Jenny, Jenny and Mairead now. She now it's going to be Mairead first. Mairead first. It just doesn't go. Mairead and Jenny, Jenny, Mairead, come on. I'm getting. I, I heard a report, or I read something once, where it said uh, interviewing you was like having two school children, and you were fighting ah. for their time. I, I'm getting the sense of that already. So, Maraid, yes, would you go first with your favorite movie? Tell us what it is and why. Okay, uh, my favorite movie. It might be a surprising one. Uh, it is When Harry Met Sally, which I think is the greatest rom com, or geez, even just com out there. I love it so much. Um, I, why do I love it? Um, I was probably too young to watch it when I did first off. <laughs> it was released in 1989. I was only nine then, John, so I didn't see it then. I saw it when I was about 12 or 13, probably 13, uh, on video at home and watched it with my mother. Um, and I just loved everything about it. I loved, uh, at that time when I was about 13, you know, I started to have some friends who were boys, but not my boy, <laughs> but not my boyfriends. And I suppose I loved that whole narrative of, you know, having a friend who's a boy, uh, and then look, where does it take you in life? You know, I love the whole thing. Yeah. They're, they're, the chemistry between them was just brilliant. Uh, and it's it's just such a gorgeous story. It's and it stood the test of time. I mean, when I anytime I watch it, I still laugh out loud at it. I still think it's beautiful. It's shot beautifully. The script is very funny, and the soundtrack is definitely one of the best ever made. Yeah, and you know what? I had to rewatch it recently for something, and it stands the test of time in terms of there's nothing where you're cringy, really no. going, "Oh my god, that's so of the time." We can't say that anymore. There's no real clangers like that, and I don't think anyway. No, well, I suppose there is that Meg Ryan fake orgasm scene, which is kind of <laughs> yes. Cringy. Well, we were going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is kind of cringy, and I think a lot of people uh, remember the movie for that, but I don't think that's the standout moment in the mm. film um, for me it's the line it's the when Billy Crystal Harry says you know towards the end spoiler alert everybody for people who haven't seen that that movie yeah, I came here tonight because when you realise that you want to spend the rest of your life with someone 
you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Oh, that's the standout moment. It's so gorgeous. Perfect. And they are kind of believable, aren't they? As as people who might actually be friends and then fall in love. Yeah, I think I, they're very, very believable. Yeah. Uh, as, as their characters, she's such a Sally and he's such a Harry and, <laughs> and you can see he's so annoying, but she likes those quirks and her funny way of ordering food is he, it's so annoying to go out to dinner with her, but he kind of loves that too about her. It's uh, it's just gorgeous. And ultimately that's what, you know, a, a friendship is about, you know, that those annoying things that your friend does. But when you fall madly in love with someone, they are your best friend. And it's also absolutely hilarious isn't there I, you, see, you know it better than I do but where he's in bed with someone and he says where were you when Kennedy was shot and she says Kennedy's been shot or something like that like <laughs> yeah. this laugh out loud moments in it uh, yeah. Jenny I should ask you have you seen When Harry Met Sally we're going to get to your favourite movie but I presume you have and you no. like it yeah my god I think everybody loves that movie I've so never good. met anybody who doesn't like that movie and we love Nora yeah. Ephron I love Nora yeah. Ephron yeah. but I always remember the I mean obviously the long scene but when they're traveling in the car so they have to travel <laughs> yeah. and just the script was so quick and it was so funny and it was so believable and so real but I also and I can't remember their names but I also remember their best friends oh Jess yes. and Mar- Jess and Marie yeah yeah uh, was it Jet? Was he uh, Jess? Jesse? Oh God, I, was can't, it? I can't remember. Yeah, but I just remember their best friends being so integral to the whole thing as well, being so mm-hmm. important because they were able because you you could learn more about how they felt about the other person Person's, through yeah. what they said to their best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and and of course everybody does remember that scene, <laughs> but I think it's the the script and the chemistry between. Billy Crystal and Meg oh, Ryan was so just, good. oh, it was electric. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. And what Moraita said is so true. You could sit down tomorrow and watch that yeah. and just, you you know, you wouldn't be distracted. You'd be roaring laughing. You'd be just thinking how clever the whole thing is. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And people always say it's one of those that, you know, it's on TV and you just watch the first few minutes and that's you for two hours because you yeah. can't not Well, that's the other it, thing you know? about it, John. It's not a two hour movie. <laughs> I love that. It's not very <laughs> long. I think it's it's less than one hour, 40 minutes. So for me, that's, oh, that's okay. again, that's just like the cherry on top of that movie. Yeah. God, I should know this movie buff. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so that's a brilliant choice, Mairead. Let's go to Jenny now and see what her favourite movie is. Oh, look, I did, I'm sure what everybody says to you, John, because it's impossible to choose your yeah. favourite mm. movie. And I have so many, but when I was asked to do this and I started thinking, I went, God, it's funny. And I don't know whether this is usual for all the guests you've had in the show. You do go back to a time in your life. Like for yes. me, it's that kind of, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, those, like that age was just really important for me. And Steven Spielberg, I'm a huge fan of his, but for me, it had to be E.T. Oh. Oh. Had to so be you deep. saw this when you were nine or ten then, presumably? I was ten. So to put this in context, and Mairead knows this story. So it came out in America in June 1982. <laughs> and my family took a trip to America in June 1982. Very, and if you remember... very posh, John. Very posh. If yeah. you remember... Going to America in the 80s in not to work on a building site. <laughs> so is. Was, that's how posh <laughs> Jenny is. Holiday. So, and if you remember... It took about six months before the movies came to yeah. Ireland. So you were waiting so you could hear about it. So anyway, we went over. I saw it in a cinema with my family in New York. Oh, wow. In New York, yeah. And when we came home from America, A, I spoke with an American <laughs> accent for three months. But B, I also 
bored everybody. Have you seen E.T.? Have you seen E.T.? And they were like, no, we can't see it till December. So I told all my friends the story. I was just obsessed and I couldn't wait till the movie then eventually came back to Ireland. But I'd ruined it for all my friends by then, so I told them the whole story. <laughs> and, you know, if it's your favourite movie, you'll know this, but, you know, it's about an extraterrestrial, but really it's about a child trying to get over his, his parents' divorce. It's like, it's such a, yeah. yeah, it's such oh, a no. like sad film. It mm. is such a sad film. And you're so right, because... The scene for me, obviously, when you see E.T. for the first time, but I remember the scene going into the family when Michael and his friends are playing Dungeons and Dragons and the mum, Mary, is zipping around. They've ordered pizza. Now, for me as a 10-year-old in 1982, like to look inside an American home and see like they had, you know, phones hanging off the walls, you know, and little Gertie is played by Drew Barrymore was in watching cartoons on the TV. And like I said, ordering pizza. And for me... The film, exactly that, like it was about obviously a breakup of a family, but it was about friendship, about loyalty, mm-hmm. about differences uh, and love. Ultimately, I think mm. I think it yeah. was all those things. Yeah. Have you shown it to your own children? Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Oh, are I'm, they fans or? Yeah, I think. Yeah, they are. But not as much as me. Like something mm. happens. It's that magical time in your life. And when that movie comes on or if anybody starts talking about it, I'm immediately transported back to a time. And like you said, it's so sad. Like the scene so towards the end when you oh. think E uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. When you think when you think <laughs> e. that ship has sailed. With, yeah. <laughs> when you think E.T. is dying and Keys, you know, mean Keys, the character, is mm. zipping around. And then obviously you see the geranium plant coming back to life. And there it's like Elliot realizes that he's going to live. I just remember you're just like, oh yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing wrong about that movie. I think it is yeah. one of Spielberg's best. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's yeah. absolutely perfect. And, Not, and the music. Yeah. The iconic music. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. So Marie, you're obviously a fan of Jenny's favourite movie as well, I, right? I am, I am. And funny enough, my uh, five-year-old Bonnie uh, saw E.T. for the first time when she was about four and fell in love with E.T. and has an E.T. teddy that she loves that sits on a shelf that she can reach so she can take him down and cuddle him. So whereas my other two kids like, yeah, yeah, they like it. But Bonnie, my youngest, loves, loves, loves great E.T. Taste. She's great. great taste, Bonnie, Bonnie has very good taste. Very good taste. Well, talking of children and E.T. and this is about you guys, but our third child, that's mine and my wife's, by the way, uh, uh, is called, called Elliot. <laughs> Um, ah. he's, he's named Elliot, and everyone who doesn't know me whenever I say it, they all assume he's called after the boy in E.T. So people love that movie to the point that they assume people name their children after. Listen, en route to asking you about the podcast, I just want to double check with, we always ask people who aren't actors in this slot, have you guys ever acted like on stage or on oh. TV or movies or anything like that? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> now Mary, would you like to go first? Um, okay, I'll go first. I have acted in um, all my school plays in St. Michael's Holy Faith Convent in Fingless, and I was an extra in a Meteor mobile phone ad, John. Wow. There you go. Wow. And I will take a bow and bow out of this conversation now. <laughs> and Jenny? Yeah, well, I studied, I went to the Samuel Beckett Centre in Trinity, which is now the Lear. Yeah. 
So She's I'm yeah. really posh. Like, so really, really that's posh. That's posh. That's talent, Marais. That's talent. I was one of the 15 picked. And um, so I have a line from The Snapper. I was in The Snapper, so that's my oh, favorite. Oh, sorry. Line. I knew that. Yes, of course. Yeah. How did you forget that, John? Come on. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. And like Marais, you know, school plays, all of that. Yeah, so. Remind people what your line in The Snapper is again. Oh, hang on. Let me see if I remember. remember. Oh, <clears throat> she goes, gets into character. Go. Check out, lady. I won't do it in the accent because I always fail here. <laughs> but the line was, uh, Jesus, you know your man who's, you know your one who's pregnant. Guess who's the da, Mr. Burgess. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow, that was you. Uh, that, John, that was me. I was getting paid a good, like for about 15 years after that. I was still getting checks from the BBC. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing. At what age were you when that was filmed? So I was straight out of drama school. So I was only like 21. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I was 21, okay. yeah. I'd love to ask you more about that, but time is against us. And I have <laughs> to get to Jenny and Maraid now. So my understanding of how this podcast came about, which is available on all good podcast platforms, was just that you guys thought, you know what, now's the time for me and my best pal or one of them to sit down and talk about where our lives are at now. And lo and behold, people seem very into that. Well, I think what we were saying is like we were chatting about it for a good bit and we kind of felt that women within our age group, like 40s, 50s, you know, that they kind of felt that they weren't being represented on air. Now, you might go, hang on a second, there's loads of women on air, but it was all a bit kind of doom and gloom. We were like, where's the crack? Where's the fun? Where's the fun? Where's the kind of element of when you meet up with your best female friend and you literally talk nonstop for, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. you need almost a stopwatch. You know, you go, you go, you go, you go. And we kind of just felt that that was missing. Mm -hmm. So... That that's really was it, wasn't it, right? That was it. And obviously our years and years of working on radio together, we knew we were able to do it. And yes. we just said, right, all the conversations we're having over cups of tea, cake in Jenny's kitchen or mine or in our love our lovely Dummer East, we said, let's have them on a microphone. And yes. that's how it started. And it's yeah, it's proven that we were right. We <laughs> there were was right. a gap. There yes. was a gap. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And also, but in your defence, I mean, you're not new to this because you mentioned the radio yeah. there. When you used to be on the Ray Darcy show, a big part of that show was all of you chatting, but your friendship came across. So in a way, but you tell me, you're kind of picking up a stitch that you had from a previous time. like. Yeah, I think that's it. And, and our listeners are very much picking up us again because you know mm. we we were on with Ray uh, Ray did his thing Jenny stepped back I I went I stayed with Today FM I took a step back and uh, but those listeners who were with us back then are now with us at a different stage in their lives mm-hmm. um, some of their kids are teenagers are grown up or some of them have had marriage that have ended and they're married again or yeah. some of them are back dating some of them are back yeah. dating yeah. some of them are living in different countries you know we've got these women listening to us all over the world as well who uh, we were part of their lives when they were maybe young free and single and and now they're not so it's really really lovely to connect with them again well it sounds like a, a slice of can you say a slice of fresh air that's that's bad grammar but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, a, a, a like bolt of sunshine i like yeah, it yeah 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 slice of fresh air yeah, exactly. Like, don't use that now. I, I, I want checks like you get from the BBC. If I I've written it down, their, John. It's mine now. Their favourite movies are respectively When Harry Met Sally and E.T. Their podcast, Jenny and Maraid Now, is available on all good pod- platforms and proving wildly popular. Guys, thanks a million for chatting to me. Thanks a million, John. Great talking to you. Cheers, John. 
Plus, you know, you just get to a certain point where you get tired of the whole thing. What whole thing? The whole life of a single guy thing. You meet someone, you have the safe lunch, you decide you like each other enough to move on to dinner. You go dancing, go back to her place, you have sex, and the minute you're finished, you know what goes through your mind? How long do I have to lie here and hold her before I can get up and go home? Is 30 seconds enough? That's what you're thinking? Is that true? Sure. All men think that. How long do you like to be held afterwards? All night, right? See, that's the problem. Somewhere between 30 seconds and all night is your problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah, you do. A clip there from When Harry Met Sally. I could have done either movie. I just decided to go with When Harry Met Sally. I could have easily gone for E.T. Because they're both superb movies. And Jenny Kelly and Mairead Ronan are both superb radio guests. And as I say, you can hear them in their podcast, Jenny and Mairead Now. That's it for this week. Thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Ray Winston. Yes, as part of the new Netflix series, The Gentleman, and some other fascinating people. Besides, in the meantime, I'll just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a safe week ahead.